6, and we begin in verse number 1 today, uh, just simply titling our journey, Journey to the Resurrection, so this will be part 1 for you. And we want to focus today on verses 1 to 5. If, if I see we can get further, we may go a little bit further, but just to kind of start off this morning, we want to begin in verse number uh, 1. Uh, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now it happened that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered over for crucifixion. So, uh, after the Olivet Discourse, which is what is previously uh, said by our Lord here before us, which is a very lengthy talk, a very lengthy discourse that goes all the way back, uh, beginning even back to Matthew chapter 23 and forward. So Matthew chapter 23, all the way up until the end of chapter 25, is considered the Olivet Discourse there. And Jesus, Matthew says here in verse 1 of chapter 26, that Jesus had finished all these words. Now, I want you to notice something with me. If you'll take your Bible, we're going to go everywhere in Matthew. So just love Matthew for a little while. But go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Matthew chapter number 7, uh, verse number 28. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 28. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. The Bible says here, now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for his teaching, uh, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribe. Notice verse 28, Jesus had finished these words. All right, so notice that phrase. Now let's just make our way back to chapter 26. Go to chapter 11, verse number one. Chapter 11, verse number 1. I just want to point out one uh, variant. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now it happened that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their city. So notice the phrase, finished his instruction." Back in chapter 7, verse 28, it said Jesus had finished these words. Keep going. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. You remember that Matthew is referred to sometimes as meticulous Matthew. He's very meticulous. He's precise. He is writing with intentionality. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 now it happened that when Jesus, notice the phrase, had finished these parables. So he's finished teachings, he's finished his instructions, he's finished these parables. Now go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 1. Matthew 19, verse number 1, Now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, He departed from Galilee, came into the regions of Judea beyond the Jordan. So notice the phrase again, finished these words. And now we end up back where we started in Matthew 26, verse number 1. And I want you to see if you notice the difference. It says in Matthew 26, verse number 1, Now it happened when Jesus had finished all these words. Words. 
That little word all there, I don't think is there by mistake. I think Matthew has been carrying us on a journey and has been emphasizing along the way throughout different chapters, sections of Jesus' preaching. And he has finally come to the conclusion of his preaching ministry. He says here that Jesus has finished all these words. All these words. His words have ended. Jesus has finished uh, preaching. He's finished speaking to Israel. Uh, You can go back through Matthew. Let me know if I've mistaken that. But you go back through Matthew. And up to this point, after Matthew chapter 26, it is as though Jesus is done speaking or preaching to Israel. He is done speaking all these words. And you remember how Matthew, and throughout the whole book of Matthew, always takes us back to the Old Testament, showing us how Jesus Christ has fulfilled all these things that has been spoken. And it's interesting to note that during the next several chapters, Jesus really almost says nothing outside of his discussion with his disciples, his prayer with his disciples. But then outside publicly, his speaking as far as preaching goes is basically done. It is done. He does not do that anymore. He says one word before the high priest, which is a warning that he's the son of man will be enthroned and that the high priest will see it. He says even less than that to Pilate. He's finished all his words. And that may not mean much to you when you read it, but here's what I want you to know it implies. He has finished his words, and this is an announcement of judgment on Israel. Now, what judgment? What are we talking about? And so that's, this is the foundation that we have to set this morning, is that when you see in verse 20, chapter 26, verse 1, where it says Jesus has finished all these words, when he's finished all of his preaching to, to the people of Israel, they have, he has come preaching, he has taught, he has done miracles, he has preached his heart out. He has been weary from his traveling. His traveling, his preaching ministry for the last three years has took him uh, over mountains, valley, and down in valleys, over mountains, sleeping. He says, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head. Jesus has poured out his life for three years preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. For three years. And when we get to Matthew chapter 26, verse 1, he's, his preaching ministry has come to a close. And that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good news in the sense of judgment. He's no longer extending that. You say, what judgment? Well, let's make another journey through Matthew. But we've got to go back to the beginning So let's go to Matthew chapter 3, and I just want you to follow along with me. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. We've been in Matthew 3 before. This is the preaching of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, that there would be a voice that would come and would uh, preach, making the way of the Lord and his path straight. In Matthew chapter 3, I want you to see what message even John the Baptist was preaching. Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 10. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. He says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit 
is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what tree had not been bearing good fruit that the Father had planted, according to Isaiah 5? Israel. The axe had already been laid at the root of the tree. In other words, this tree is about to get cut down. This tree is about to get cut down. Then look at verse 12. His winnowing fork, this referring to Christ, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather the wheat into the barn for he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is a declaration of judgment on those who have not repented and believed certainly in the Messiah. Now, who was his audience? Well, there were several who were listening, but in particular, verse 7 says, Pharisees and Sadducees were coming, and he announced to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, what wrath was coming? Well, the judgment of God was going to fall on covenant breakers. Israel had broken the covenant. They had broken the covenant. And you remember the beginning of the year when I took, took you through those covenants, that God, back in uh, Genesis, had made a covenant where he told Abraham to cut the animal pieces in half, put them on opposite sides, and God himself passed through. And the implication thereof is that if God did not fulfill his end of the deal, then may so happen to him and even worse. And then Israel themselves agreed to the same by saying if they themselves did not hold true to the covenant that made this type of wrath happen to them, and even greater. Well, now the preaching of John the Baptist has come, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent unless you perish. Repent unless you perish. Turn with me um, on over to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 27. Matthew 16, verse 27. This is a very intriguing passage. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and will then repay each one according to His deeds. And truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they what? See his son, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the majority of us this morning is going to read verse 27, and what do we immediately perceive that implies? His second coming, right? That's what we think it means. Well, if that's what it means, then how in the world is it true based on verse 28? Verse 28 says, Jesus said that there were some of them standing there with him who would actually see this. Before they died. Well, if it meant the second coming, we got a big problem, don't we? <laughs> We've all had our worst nightmare. We've been left behind. Right? Well, but what does verse 28 say? There are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death. So in other words, those who were listening to what he had to say would not die until they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So some of them are going to behold this. And you'll notice chapter 17. This is the transfiguration. 
And it's interesting if you go down. I'm not going to go through all these things. I'd like to, but I'm not. But if you go down to verse 7, it says, And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, said, Tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked, saying him, Well, what then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So in other words, they're waiting on Elijah to come. And he said in verse 11, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. And so also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Well, how did Elijah come? Did we think Elijah came? Well, verse 13, the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about who? John the Baptist. So who was Elijah that came? John the Baptist. Well, Jesus continues to issue his authority. He cast out demons in chapter 17. He discusses the temple tax in chapter 17. They're fussing on who's going to be the important one in chapter 18. He talks about uh, forgiving and restoring one another in chapter 18. He's continuing to teach, continue to teach, continue to preach, continue to offer this invitation of repentance. And now get to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Matthew 21, verse 33. Now, you don't have to do this now, but if you want to do it for homework, I'd encourage you to read Isaiah 5 along with Matthew 21, verse 33. It says in verse 33 of Matthew 21, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, where is he quoting from? Guess what? Isaiah. He says, now when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his fruit. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son. You see this? You see what's happening here? The, the owner of the vineyard sent a few folks out. Well, guess what the people that were supposed to be taking care of the vineyard did? They killed them. And then he sent another group down there, and guess what they did? They killed them. What did Jesus testify was true about Israel? They are those who stone and kill the what? The prophets. And then he says here that he sent his son. He finally sends his son. In verse 37, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Well, let me ask you the question. He has sent one group of people down there. The, the people killed him. He sent another group down there. They killed him. He said, well, I can send my son. They'll receive him. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What do you think the, vine, the, the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he comes back? Say, great job, guys. No, he's not. He's not. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 41, they said to him, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. And will rent out the vineyard to the other vine growers who pay him the proceeds as, they, as the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you ever read the scripture? 
The stone which the builder rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be what? Taken away from who? You and given to what? Uh, Another nation producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, but whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Well, who's he talking to? Well, notice verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about who? Them. And although they were seeking to seize him, they feared the crowds. Because the crowds were regarding him to be a what? Prophet. Well, then what did Jesus do? He went on into preaching more. He gave, he gave the parable of the wedding. He said the kingdom of heaven must be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he goes on to say that we sent out his slaves to call who had been called to the wedding feast. But they what? They were unwilling to come. Verse three. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been called. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted livestock. All are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse five. But they what? What they do? Paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Who do you think that parable is about? about Israel. Well, it keeps going and keeps going. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Go to verse 13. Matthew 23, verse 13. If you see verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, how does it begin? Woe to you. Woe to you. Jump down to verse 23. Woe to you. Verse 25. Woe to you. Verse 27. Woe to you. Verse 29. Woe to you. Well, then notice verse 36. I'm sorry. Let's just look at verse 34. It says, on account of this. Behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So that upon you. Upon who? You. Who is you? That's the question. Why would I systematically go throughout this chapter and interpret you to something other than the you that Jesus is talking to? I wouldn't do that. That would be foolish of me. So who is you? You as his, his audience that's listening to the scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, all of those of Israel that are listening. He says, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to who? You, that all these things will come upon what? Upon the generation in 2023, right? But upon what? This generation? Well, who was listening? His audience. That generation was going to receive this judgment. 
And then Jesus says in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Is that not what he's preached for the last three chapters? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together and the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you didn't want it. Behold, your house is being left to you, what? Desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're going to see that. Well, then we come to the grandeur of Matthew 24. Don't come to Matthew 24 unless you've read the rest of it. Don't, don't read Matthew 24 unless you've read the rest of Matthew. Just don't do it. Don't, don't go into Matthew 24 thinking Jesus has just taken out the context he was already in and shifted it somewhere else. So guess what? Verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. And so they're now coming where? Out of the temple. Why would he say what he said if he wasn't in the temple back in verse 20, uh, 38 of Matthew 23? What was their house considered to be? The temple. Behold to you, your house will be left to you what? Desolate. So now they're coming out of the temple, verse chapter 21, verse four, 24, verse 1. Jesus was going along and his disciples, boy, can you imagine how their ears are burning right now? They ain't said much. They've just been listening. They came up to him and they said to him, or they point to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, do, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, no, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And now as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of what? Your coming and the end of the age. All right. What coming? That's the question. We, we've just read in all these different chapters that he told them some would be alive when they saw the son of man. What coming in his kingdom? He read all these different things and he even said, behold, you will, you will, uh, verse 39 of Matthew 23, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so his disciples are the utmost curious by wanting to know when this coming is going to happen and when is the end of the age going to happen? When's it going to happen? When is this judgment going to fall? And, and what kind of signs will we see? Well, in verse four, he says, see to it that no one deceives you. And he begins to tell them, there'd be many who come and say, I'm the Christ. You're going to hear about wars, rumors of wars. But, but see that you are not alarmed for these things must take place. But, but that's not yet the end. Nations going to rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Different places, there'll be famines and earthquakes. Has anybody read the book of Acts? 
there was famine, there was earthquakes, and there was national unrest. Well, let's keep going. They're going to deliver you to tribulation and kill you in verse 9. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. What happened to all these men that he were talking to? Every one of them were killed. He said in verse 10, And at that time, many are going to fall away and betray one another and hate one another. What did Paul say about some in Timothy? He said, He's left me because he loved the world more than he loved Christ. First John, John told him that those who went out from us, they've never been part of us to begin with. We could go on and on and on. And because lawless is multiplied and most people's love will grow cold. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, in the last days, there'll be what? There'll be people like this. Last days, I thought that, how's that that work? But notice verse 13, isn't this odd? But the one who endures to the end, he will be what? How are you going to be saved from that? He said, this is the gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So when it says to the whole world, you know, it would help to do a little Greek study here for the term world. When you see world, most people think what? World. (laughs) Right? However... There is two terms in Greek. One is cosmos, which does mean the globe. And the other is oikemene, which means regional vicinity. Now, would we agree that in Paul's day, as God sent him out as a missionary, he extended the witness of the kingdom of the gospel of Christ to the oikemene, to the majority of the region surrounding them? And that would be a yes. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Wait a minute. Why would I flee to the mountains if if this is talking about something in our future? Why why would I flee to a mountain? What's getting on a mountain going to do for me? Why why would I get out of the way? Why would I run? Who is Jesus talking to, people? He's talking to his his 12 disciples. When you hear this, you boys better what? Run. Get to the mountains. Why would they get to the mountains? Because this is something they are about to experience. If they can get to the mountains, if they can get out in time, guess what? If you endure to the end, you will be what? Saved from this destruction. I could go on. The sermon's not on Matthew 24 today, but I hope I've stirred your utmost curiosity. Well, preacher, you just, you've lost your marbles. Ain't no way this is about the judgment on Israel. We'll jump down to verse 34 because we've got to make make headway here. Jesus says something very similar that he's been saying. 
Truly, I say to you, that generation way out there in the future will not pass away until all these things take place. Is that what your Bible said? No. I'm just asking you to read the scripture as it is. The gener- this generation. What generation? The one he's talking to. This generation will not pass away until what? All these things take place. And then he tells them how it's going to look. It's going to be like the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving way, giving in marriage. And when Noah entered the ark. So in other words, people are going to continue to be neglecting the message of the gospel when the judgment of God falls on the covenant breakers. And when it does, it's going to sweep them away. There'll be one in the field and the other be taken, the other left. God's judgment is going to come quickly on Israel. So be ready. Verse 42 to 51. Be ready. And then what does he do? He keeps giving illustration after illustration on how they should be ready. Chapter 25 is the parable of the ten virgins. What do you know about the parable of the ten virgins? Five were wise and they had their lamps ready. And the other five were foolish and they didn't. And when the king showed up, guess what? The five that didn't have their lamps endured judgment. Parable of the talents. The rest of Matthew 25. And then guess what? The final judgment. Verse 31 of Matthew 25. All I'm arguing this morning is simply this. That when we begin Matthew 26, why do you think people hated him so much? Why do you think they wanted to kill the son of the living God? Because he came telling them that unless they repent of their evil deeds, they too will perish. That the judgment of God was coming for Israel breaking the covenant. It was coming. Israel never listened. The Pharisees, they often tried to catch him in his words. The priests and elders would plot against him. They accused him of being in with the devil. They said, you're possessed. You're a Beelzebul. You remember all of that. And so Jesus announced for them in Matthew 23, 24, 25, that the judgment of God was going to fall on Israel. And at chapter 26, where we begin, he has finished all his words and it is over. He said all he would say to Israel. And he now turns from them and does what? Sends his people out into the nations, as Romans 11 says, to provoke them to jealousy. His patience came to an end. And boy, it's just unique to me when you read here, it says that he will be delivered up. He will be delivered up. This is mentioned like 15 times in Matthew, but it, it is sometimes said he's even translated betrayed. But Jesus said he would be delivered up. He said so in verse two. He would be delivered into the hands of the Jews. Down when we get to verse 15 and 16, Judas sells him off for 30 pieces of silver. But what is sad is that Israel who is gathering, it is is Israel who is gathering to plot a plan to get rid of the son whom the father has sent. I don't know if you remember back to Psalm chapter 2, but it says that 
the nations were gathering around to plot their uh, plans in order to try to break their bonds free from the authority of God. And now instead of it being a pagan Gentile nations who are plotting to try to break free from God, it's his own people who's trying to plot and break free from his judgment that is coming. And as long as they're plotting, they can gather, they can plot, they can attack the Lord and his anointed. But the Bible says in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And whether it be for Israel or any other nation that is upon this planet, any nation that tries to take a stand against God, it is the one that sits upon a throne that laughs at the vain efforts of pagans. He will not be overthrown. And his plan will not be messed up. They are conspiring not uh, to... Heed his warning. Their plots are ineffective. The Lord knows that their plots amount to nothing. That what really determines the future is the word of God. All this that is transpiring has already been scripted. What did Jesus say in John 10? No one has taken away my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father. No human power could have accomplished this apart from the will of God. And no human power could prevent it because it was God's plan that the son be delivered up. Luke twenty two twenty two. for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And Acts two twenty three. this man Peter was preaching was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This judgment's coming. Their house will be left to them desolate. But the invitation that was given to Israel is the same invitation that is given to any unrepentant sinner. Believe in Christ and be saved. Believe in the Messiah and be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. And guess when this took place? Jesus said in verse 2, you know that after two days, Passover is coming. Boy, don't you love how God arranged all of this? Passover's coming. Boy, isn't it, isn't it fitting for the Lamb of God to go to the cross to be killed around Passover? John said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the picture that we have before us this morning. This is what is taking place. The people are plotting to kill him. The son has told of the coming judgment. The disciples, no doubt, are nervous and still a tad bit confused. Jesus told them when they will go. Two days and Passover is coming. And the son of man will be delivered up. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about this morning, but I hope that you know this son of man. The Son of Man has also, if you've been walking with us through our study of the book of John, 
The Father has given over judgment to the Son. And on the last day, He will divide the wheat from the tares. He will divide the sheep from the goats. And unless you repent and believe in Christ, you too will perish. Unless you repent of your sin and believe in Christ, you too will perish. My hope for you this morning is that you know the one in whom the Father has sent. Jesus said, I have stretched my hand all the day long, but you would not take it. His own people, he came to his own and his own received him not. Isaiah 53 said they looked at him like he was a a, a tender shoot or like a, a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. He he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one who was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, one from whom we would hide our face. We thought he was stricken and smitten of God, but yet he was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our well-being. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. They looked upon him as he was a nobody. Somebody that lived their life under the hand of God's judgment. But brothers and sisters, what they failed to realize is that he was the son of God. And you too may be here this morning. You've heard over and over and over the words that Jesus has said. And one day it will be true that Jesus will have finished all of his words. That one day there will be no more sermons preached. One day there will be a day where the gospel will not be shared no more. It will be over. It will be over. And I shared with you last week the glorious patience and kindness of God. Every day allowing the sun to come back up. Brothers and sisters, it is the patience of God that leads you to repentance. The reason you have another day, the reason this world has another day, is because God is patient. God is patient. And God is kind. And I would implore you this morning. If you don't know Christ, repent and believe in the Son of God. For if you don't, you too will face His wrath. And you will likewise perish. It says they didn't want to do this during the festival, lest a riot happen among them. And guess when the Lord made them do it? All up in that festival. I'll leave you with Galatians 4 this morning. The Word of God says in Galatians 4, I think beginning of verse number 7, it says, At the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who are under the law. That those who are slaves have become children and have children and an heir and an heir through Christ. And he has sent forth his spirit into our hearts, crying forth, Abba, Father. For we are no longer slaves, but a child and of a child and an heir and an heir through Christ. My hope this morning is that you found it in him. And that you know what it is to be at peace with God. For it is only through the Savior 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one man, uh, there is uh, one man, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. So my encouragement to you today is trust him.
or you too will know his wrath. Let's pray. Father, we thank